Say, I've received abundance of grace. I've received the abundance of grace. And the gift of righteousness. And the gift of righteousness. Therefore, Therefore I rule and reign in this life. I rule and reign in this life. Start ruling and reigning in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Hi, welcome back to Light Words with Pastor Scott Huffman from Lighthouse Church Ministries. As a reminder, this is the audio version of Sunday's messages. You can catch us live at 10.30 a.m. Pacific Standard Time on Facebook and Instagram. Find us at lnlighthouse.org every Sunday morning. Today's message is, What Does It Mean to Be Forgiven? Pastor Scott is joined with his wife, Marilyn, and daughter, Corey. Okay, Micah. The Bible says, with his stripes we're healed. Praise God. All right. All right. Corey. Did you find Micah? Uh, Micah 7.19. Once again, you will have compassion on us. You will trample our sins under our, your feet and throw them into the depths of the ocean. He will cast our sins into the depths of the sea to be remembered no more. no more. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you and praise you for the word of God. We thank you for the people of God. We pray for those that are lost today that they might come to find salvation in Christ. Lord, we pray for the power of the anointing of the Holy Spirit now to fall upon your people, Lord, that you would minister, that you would anoint, that you would touch, that you would heal those sick in body, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Praise God. Well, man, the word is Adam or Adam, was supernaturally created in the image and likeness of God. What a glorious beginning for mankind. Adam was created in a state of glory and innocence not knowing the difference between good and evil. The devil in the garden comes to Eve to tempt her from her position in God to supposedly offer a more uh, better solution for something greater. But what did he really tempt her with? I believe ultimately the temptation was to become God or the desire of divinity as the devil had desired and was cast out of heaven. Remember, The devil said, I will be like the most high God. And because he assaulted himself to a high position, he was cast out of heaven. Jesus said, I saw Satan fall from heaven as lightning strikes the earth. Last night, we had lightning outside our window. It was pretty spectacular and thunder. So we're having a heat wave and we're having thunderstorms. Kind of exciting. This evil desire to be God still exists in the world today. People wanting to be their own God unto themselves. Here we have the story Back in the book of beginnings, the book of Genesis, chapter 3, verse 1 through 5 and 7. Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Has God indeed said you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said you shall not eat it or you shall not touch it. Now God never said don't touch it. She added that. All right, go ahead. Then the eyes of both of them were open, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. Did you read verse 7? That was it. That was it. Okay, praise God. So here we see the fall of mankind. The devil comes to tempt Eve. And the glory of God was removed or stripped from them. And that's why they felt naked. Sin entered the world through the disobedience of Adam and Eve. And with sin came sickness and ultimately death. You know, the curse came upon humanity and the devil himself. And God said that he would curse the devil and he would crawl like a serpent on the ground. And the woman would receive a curse and she would have pain in childbirth. And even today that still remains. 
but the Bible says, and God was quoting and saying prophetically, the devil would bruise the seed of the woman who was who? Jesus himself. And devil, the devil would be crushed. His head would be crushed by Jesus in his crucifixion and resurrection. Praise God. So mankind needed to be forgiven of its sin, of committing high treason against God and giving up the authority of rulership and dominion of the earth. They turned over the rulership of the earth to the devil who became the God of this world, and he still is the God of this world. He is the one that manipulates minds and casts forth darkness into the world and evil. Now, uh, God had said, that they were little gods made in his likeness. God had a plan for Adam and Eve. And so in Psalm 82, 6, we read, I say, you are gods and children of the Most High. And then Jesus quoted in John 10, 34 through 36 to the Pharisees. Jesus answered them, it is, not is it not written in your law, I said you are gods? If he called them gods to whom the word of God came and the scriptures cannot be broken. Do you say of him whom the Father sanctified and sent into the world, you are blaspheming? Because I am the Son of God. Jesus is the Son of God. Now, we were made little gods in the likeness of God. We are not God ourselves. But we are made in his likeness, likeness and image. Now, this great plan of redemption has been restored to us in Christ, who is the second or he's the last Adam, the Adam without sin to redeem mankind back to the Lord and offer forgiveness of sin by his death on the cross. So the story of the Bible is the need for men and women to receive forgiveness of sins and to be redeemed and restored back into right relationship with God. It is about restoring intimacy that was lost in the garden. Remember, they walked in the cool of the day and an intimate walk with the Lord and they lost that relationship. Well, that has been restored to us in Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Adam was born of dust and became a living soul. In Christ, we have been born from above and we bear the image of the heavenly man. Praise God. We are not born of the dust, but of the spirit. Let's look at 1 Corinthians 15, 45 through 49. This is an awesome scripture. Okay. The scriptures tell us the first man, Adam, became a living person. But the last Adam, that is Christ, is a living, life-giving spirit. What came first was the natural body, then the spiritual body comes later. Adam, the first man, was made from the dust of the earth, while Christ, the second man, came from heaven. Every human being has an earthly body just like Adam's, but our heavenly bodies will be just like Christ's. Just as we are now like Adam, the man of the earth, so, some, so we will someday be like Christ, the man from heaven. We'll be like the heavenly man. Praise God. So God has a greater plan. This plan was accomplished in Christ, that we would become like him in nature and likeness. Can you imagine that? Look at 1 John 3, 1 and 2, just in case you don't believe that. Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us, that we should be called children of God. Therefore the world does not know us, because it does not know him. Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be, but we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. We shall be like him, and we shall see him as he is. And the Bible says we shall see him face to face. One day you and I will look into the face of Christ. Isn't that awesome? And we'll bear the image of the heavenly man. Let's look at Second Peter 1.4 to further iterate this fact that we have become divine. 
And by the same mighty power, he has given us all the riches and wonderful promises. He has promised that you will escape the, is this the one you want? Yep. The decadence all around the co- that is caused by evil desires and that you will share in his divine nature. So we, have, we, sh- we are sharers in his divine nature. Praise God. The prolific writer C.S. Lewis, maybe you're familiar with him, penned these words. He will make the feeblest and filthy of us, us into a god or goddess, dazzling, radiant, and immortal creature, pulsating all through with such energy, joy, wisdom, and love as we cannot now imagine. A bright, stainless mirror which reflects back to God perfectly, and of course, on a smaller scale, his own boundless power, delight, and goodness. God will recreate himself in us. Praise God. We will bear the likeness of the heavenly man. Hallelujah. So what does it mean to be forgiven in Christ? We use that word sometimes too loosely. What exactly is forgiveness in Christ? First, we want to look at the Old Testament system or the Old Covenant. God made a covenant of promise with his people. It began with Abraham. But it was lacking because there still was the problem of sin and the need for it to be removed and forgiven. There was a barrier of sin that stood in the way between God and man. Romans 3.23, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There is none righteous, no, not one before God. We need to receive his righteousness. In the old system, there was an animal sacrifice system made for man's sins, but it didn't remove sin, but it only covered their sin or uh, uh, appeased the heart of God but it did not remove the sin. Now the tabernacle was set up as a place of worship on the earth, but it was lacking because they couldn't enter into the presence of the Lord. The only place God dwelt on the earth was in the most holy place, the Holy of Holies behind the inner veil. Now in the tabernacle, there was the holy place. In the holy place, there was the table of showbread, the 12 loaves of bread, and the golden lampstand, and the altar of incense. And then... There was the most holy place, or the Holy of Holies, behind the inner veil, where was found the Ark of the Covenant, which contained Aaron's rod that budded, which is a portrayal of the new life we have in Christ, the golden jar of manna that fell in the wilderness, a manna, which really means what is it, but really it's a type of the Word of God, and we are born of the Word of God, and the Ten Commandments, or the Decalogue, the Law of God. Now we form a type of the Ark, and the Lord showed me this, I don't know if anyone's ever uh, mentioned this, but it came to me one day that as we worship the Lord, as we lift our hands, we form a type of the Ark of the Covenant. And our hands being lifted up is a type of the two cherubim that cover the mercy seat and fold their wing across and almost touch. The mercy seat is right below. And God said, I'll dwell above the mercy seat between the two cherubim. And when we worship God, we form the Ark and God's presence, at least for me, comes right in here. This is where his presence dwells, right there between the two cherubim above the mercy seat. And now we are becoming living arcs. Isn't that exciting? Mm -hmm. That we are living arcs before God, and we are called to be a tabernacle of praise and worship before him. Now, it's interesting. The writer of Hebrews, which no one knows who wrote Hebrews. It's kind of a mysterious as to who wrote the book. Some people think Paul, but nobody knows for sure. We know the Holy Spirit wrote it. The writer puts the altar of incense in the Holy of Holies. In the Old Testament, the writer had it on the outside. But in the the New Testament, we have the uh, altar of incense, which I believe was right at the doorway 
between the most holy place and the holy place. And the altar of incense represents our recreated spirit. Hallelujah. Praise God. That dwells in the presence of God. So that spirit within us, you say, where's the spirit, Pastor? Kelly, uh, Kelly, not Kelly, Jesus said, out of your innermost being would flow rivers of living water. I believe the spirit is in your belly. Everybody point to your belly. <laughs> That's where your spirit is. And uh, nobody can see it because it's invisible. And then we know our heart is right here. Everybody knows, oh, I feel. That's your heart. And your mind, the cerebral part of you is up here. And we are body, soul, and spirit. But our spirit dwells in the Holy of Holies. And our spirit has become one with his spirit. And now we dwell in his presence. Hallelujah. Praise God. They couldn't do that in the Old Testament, but now we can now. Exodus 25, 22 said, God said, I will dwell above the mercy seat on the Ark of the Covenant. Now today, as the church comes to worship and to praise, we become the Ark of the Covenant and we, we form a tabernacle before God and his presence and comes before us and we become a tabernacle of God or a habitation of God. The only problem in the Old Testament was no one could enter into that place called the Holy of Holies except the high priest on Yom Kippur. What's Yom Kippur? It's the year, or I'm sorry, the Day of Atonement that happened once a year. And the high priest would offer the blood of animals to cover the sins of the people, but it did not remove their sin. There was a problem. A scapegoat was one of a pair of two kid goats that were released into the wilderness, taking with it all the sins and impurities, while the other is sacrificed on the altar on the mercy seat. And it symbolically represents the carrying away of the sins and guilt of the people. Jesus has become our scapegoat. Praise God. And he has removed our sins forever. <clears throat> you know, I came to Christ on a balmy night in Palm Springs, California, at age 14, 1972, right on the heels of the Jesus movement, the Jesus generation. And now God is going to move once again amongst young people in a powerful way. It's coming very soon, guys. Get ready. But when I got saved, the two things that stood out to me by revelation, number one, I said, I'm a new person. Wow, the old guy's gone. The Bible says, therefore, if any person be in Christ, they're a new creation. Old things have passed away. All things are brand new. I was quoting the scripture. And then I said, I'm washed on the inside. I'm cleansed. And the blood of Jesus has completely forgiven and cleansed and removed our sins for eternity. Praise God. We are new people in Christ washed from within. Salvation is the fact that our sins are removed and we are made righteous before God and we take on his divine nature within us. The divine is inside you. Praise God. Now, firstly, we must make a distinction between covering of sin and removal of sin. What did John say to Jesus? Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Jesus didn't just take our sins, believers. He took away the sin of the entire world. That's why non-believers need to come to Christ. Jesus took your sin too, guys. You need to be forgiven and receive Christ. There's a difference between covering of sin and removal of sin. The goal of animal sacrifices was to forgive sin and make perfect, but it was incapable of doing this because the blood of lambs, bulls, and goats, they can't take away sin. And so because they were insufficient, uh, only the blood of Christ can remove sin. Let's look at 1 Peter 1.19. He paid for you with the precious lifeblood of Christ, the sinless, spotless Lamb of God. 
Mm, praise God. Now, I want to give you five truths of what it means to be truly forgiven in Christ. Number one, now get these, write these down. To be forgiven in Christ is to no longer have a consciousness or an awareness of sin in your life. Wow, praise God. See, so many believers are always thinking about their sin. They're walking around in a cloud of guilt and condemnation. I was like that for years until God gave me revelation and showed me that I'd been made righteous and my sins had been removed and buried in the sea of God's forgetfulness. God was absent-minded concerning our sins and doesn't remember them. Now, some pastors teach erroneously, the closer you get to God, the more aware you are of your sins. This is not true. I don't know where they get that. The Bible says, awake to righteousness and the word of righteousness, which we preach. As you grow closer to Christ, you're more aware of his righteousness in you and less aware of your sin. Hebrews 10, 1 through 4. <clears throat> Excuse me. For the law having a shadow of the good things to come, not the very image of the things, um, can never with these sacrifices which they offer continually year by year make those who approach perfect. For then would they not have ceased to be offered for the worship. So wait a minute, what was the goal? That, that they would approach God would be what? Without sin. Perfect, yeah. perfect. Mm -hmm. God's intention was to make them perfect but they couldn't become perfect through the blood of animals, mm -hmm. right? Sacrifice of animals. Right. So go ahead. For the worshipers, once purified, would have had no more consciousness of sins. But in those sacrifices, there was a, remi a reminder of sins every year. So <clears throat> the animal sacrifices, if they had worked, yeah. they no longer would have been aware of their sins. They no longer would have a conscious awareness of their sins. But it didn't work. And every year, they were aware of their sins. A lot of Christians live perpetually, always aware of their sins, feeling condemned by their sin. That's not how God wants you to live. He wants you to have uh, a consciousness of no sin in your life, no awareness of sin. That was the intention, and it could only come through the blood of Christ. Because the blood of bulls and goats cannot take away sin, only Christ's blood. Your heart no longer condemns you or makes you feel guilty, Romans 8.1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who belong to Christ. There's therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ. No guilt. People say, oh, I feel so guilty. Well, that's not coming from God. It's coming from the devil. God doesn't make you feel guilty. God does not convict believers of sin. That's also an erroneous teaching. God convicts the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. But the Holy Spirit is our comforter and our teacher. And we are no longer convicted or made guilty of our sin because we've been made righteous and forgiven. Praise God. All right, let's look at uh, uh, Hebrews, excuse me, where were we at? First John 3, 21, 22. Beloved, if your heart does not condemn us and we have confidence towards God and whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. So when you have this revelation that you've been made righteous, it's your sins are removed, then your heart does not condemn you. Some believers' hearts condemn them. And so they don't have confidence with God. But when you don't have a heart that condemns you, you have great confidence in God because you know who you are in Christ and that you've been made holy and righteous and your sins are gone. And if you don't have sins, then you're flawless before God, made perfect. And you have confidence. And whatever you ask in his name, he will do it. Praise God. We've been made perfect. Number three, we've been made righteous and perfect before God in the inner man or the new creation. Hebrews 10, 14. 
for by that one offering he perfected forever all those whom he's making holy. He perfected forever. We've been made perfect forever. You won't get perfect in heaven. You've already been made perfect on the inside, in the inner man. Now, when we get to heaven, we'll have a new body and the work will be fully completed. But right now in the inner man, in the new creation, you are perfect before God. Romans 5, 17 through 19. For if by one man's offense, death reigned through the one. Who's that? Adam's. Adam. The one, uh, much more than those who receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one Jesus Christ. Say, I've received abundance of grace. I've received abundance of grace. And the gift of righteousness. And the gift of righteousness. Therefore, Therefore I rule and reign in this life. I rule and reign in this life. Start ruling and reigning in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. And 2 Corinthians 5.21. For God made Christ, who never sinned, to be an offering for our sins so that we could be made right with God through Christ. He who knew no sin was made to be sin for us that we might be made the righteousness of God in Christ. Number four, we have a new nature incapable of sinning. Again, there are many pastors that get this wrong and they try to say, well, yeah, no, it's not. It, it, it can still sin. No, it can't. Your new nature cannot sin because it bears the image of God. It is in the likeness of God and God, by the way, can't sin. First John 3, 8, 9. He who sins is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. For this purpose, the Son of God has, was manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil. Whoever has been born of God does not sin. Wait a minute, stop. Whoever is born of God, what? Does not sin. What? Does not what? sin. What? Does sin. not sin. You say, Pastor, I still sin. Yeah, you still sin. But you don't sin in the new nature. Right. You don't sin in that new man in Christ. You sin in the soulish part of you mind, will, and emotions, which is being sanctified, made holy. But in the new man, it's incapable of sin. It can't sin because it bears the likeness of God. Right. Hallelujah. There is no old man and new man. Again, another erroneous teaching by many pastors. You're not schizophrenic. You have a new nature in Christ. Old things have passed away. All things are brand new. You have one new nature. That's it. <laughs> Praise God. 2 Corinthians 5.17. What this means is that those who become Christians become new persons. They are not the same anymore. For the old life is gone, a new life has begun. Therefore, if any person be in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things have passed away. All things have become what? Brand new. Brand new. Praise God. You have made, been made completely righteous without sin. Your spirit and God's sin, excuse me, God's, your spirit and God's spirit have become one. Number five, God continually keeps us clean. Isn't that good news? Um, Jesus said, as you walk through the world, your feet get dirty. So how are you cleansed? Through the power of Christ, through the cleansing power of Jesus Christ. 1 John 1, 7. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Now in the Greek, that word is continually cleanses us. Over and over again. So even though we still do sin in this life, his blood continually makes us perfectly clean and holy. Thus, there's no sin before God. You know, they don't do that anymore. Now they use magic markers and whatnot, overhead projectors. But I was with the chalk, okay? And um, when I'm writing on the board, I have an eraser. And uh, the eraser removes the chalk, right? Well, the Lord gave me another revelation that as we write on the chalkboard our sins... God's giant heavenly eraser is coming behind and erasing those sins immediately. 
So it's impossible for them to be there because they keep getting wiped away. Isn't that good news? You've been completely forgiven in Christ and it's an ongoing process. We are continually kept clean and made righteous before God. Hallelujah. Hey guys, remember, your sins are gone and you're free in Christ. Completely and forever you are forgiven. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you and praise you for the word of God. We thank you for the fact that we have been forgiven. Our sins have been removed. We no longer have an awareness of sin in our lives. Lord, we pray that we would concentrate on righteousness and remember that we've been made righteous. Now, Lord, we look to those that are lost, to the, those that have never found Christ. Now's your chance to come to Jesus. If that's you, pray this prayer. Dear Lord Jesus, come into my life. Forgive me of my sins. Cleanse me from all unrighteousness. I ask you to come in and be my Lord and Savior. I receive you now personally into my life. I will follow you and love you and worship you all the days of my life. In Jesus' name I pray. And for you believers that have slipped away, the time now is to come back to God. There's a lot of believers around the world that are not walking with God, and the Lord is trying to bring you back to himself and restore that broken relationship. You can come back. You've forgiven in him and receive that closeness and nearness. Pray this prayer. Lord, I want to come back. I want to be near. I want to be close like I used to be. I want to walk in your power and glory. Come near to me. Draw near to me as I draw near to you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Praise God. We pray that you prayed those prayers and that you've been touched by the word of God. The word of God does not return void, but accomplishes that which he pleases and prospers the one he sends it to. Praise God. Thank you for listening to today's message. To recap, here are the five truths to be forgiven. Number one, to no longer have the consciousness of sin. Number two, to be forgiven in Christ means we no longer feel guilty or condemned by our sin. Number three, we're made righteous and perfect in the inner man. Number four, we have a new nature incapable of sinning. And number five, God continually keeps us clean. If you're ever feeling weighed down by your sin or past mistakes, go back to these five truths and stand on it. We are made free in the Lord and righteous and perfect in him. Again, as a reminder, you can watch us live every Sunday at 1030 a.m. Pacific Standard Time on Facebook and Instagram. Find us at lnlighthouse.org. Blessings, and we'll see you next week. 